Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, online or maybe at an off-site campus in the chapel, the warehouse, wherever you happen to be. Especially want to welcome those of you that are watching from Manning. Uh, this is the 10th year anniversary as a campus for Manning and with Jim and Paula Fleming. And so let's, yeah, let's give them some love here. The Long Point campus. Wow, it's warm this morning, isn't it? I mean, I think it is. Um, not in here, it feels good in here, but I, I got up this morning, I was just flipped on the news, see what the weather was, and they said that we were gonna set a record high for a low. How do you set a record high for a low? But apparently we're doing that today, so we're a part of legacy record setting together. You guys are gonna Google that and find out what that is. Hey, um, th th some exciting things happening this week. As you, as you came in uh, to this service here at the Long Point campus, did you see the cross up on top of the tower on the, let me, let me show you that, this, this is cool. So what we did is they told us, hey, we're putting up the cross this week, and so our staff, we were excited. We came over and stood outside the fences, and you know, we all had our iPhones up there, and this is uh, kind of what it looks like, big cross. This was it on the ground. They're getting ready to lift it up, and then uh, here you can kind of see it, and then there it is up, and uh, yeah. Here was my thought, here was my thought, and I, I put it on Instagram. My thought was, you know, Jesus is gonna be lifted up for generations to come here in this, in this area. And, and as I was praying for you guys this morning, praying for services and praying for you guys, I really had this, I, um, just, it was like the Lord was saying to me, tell them thanks. You guys have been so generous. Uh, we um, walked kinda into this process about, uh, 10 years, or 10 years ago, three years, it seems like 10 years, three years ago, and, um, and we challenged our entire church that, you know, our, our commitment was to raise $12 million uh, so that we could invest in the future, invest in the next generation, and uh, it seemed like a lot of money, it is a lot of money, and it seemed impossible, and, and over the three-year period, you guys have just been generous and generous and generous, you believed in the vision, you believed in investing in the next generations, and, um, and we're almost at the end of the road here. We, in uh, Christmas of this year, how many of you know Christmas is gonna come a lot sooner than, than, you, you know, than you think it is? It always does, same date every year, but it's just like sooner and sooner. But we're gonna move in, and, uh, and um, we're, we're about a little less than a million and a half dollars uh, from meeting the goal in order to move in, and, and so uh, we... We, uh, three weeks ago, uh, we asked you, we said, you know, we're gonna have a legacy giving week. You know, we've done this a, a couple of times a year over the past couple of years and just said, hey, you know, if we all do our part, um, God will do his. And so I, I just challenge everybody to do their part. Now, what is your part? Pray, that's all. Just your part is to pray. If God says nothing, that's fine. If God says, listen, I wanna use some of your resources in order to make, uh, this happened for the next generation. Just be, be obedient to that, but just pray. And so three weeks ago, I think we said, you know, um, just pray and discuss it with your family. And uh, Debbie and I did. Here's, here's my favorite scripture on giving. I just wanted to kind of give it to you. Second Corinthians 9 and verse seven says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. That's why we, we call it deciding ahead of time. And so, so that there's, you don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. There's no arm twisting or sad stories or 
You know, any of that kind of thing. Just, just give uh, what God tells you to in, in your heart. And God is able to bless you. Or, oh, it, here it is. For God loves a cheerful giver. I was talking to Deb about that this week. We both have been praying about what are we gonna give this time and came up with a similar amount. And we were excited about it. It's like, we're living this out, cheerful giving. And it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And that's a promise from God as it relates uh, to giving. And so, um, What's gonna happen today is we're not gonna have you know, anything out of the ordinary or whatever. We're gonna have a response time at the end that we normally do, and there, there, um, there are several ways that you can give. Um, there's old school. Anybody give old school? You know, that's a, te- uh, not a text. That's not old school. It will be soon. Uh, that, that's a check. Anybody remember what a check looks like? You know? Some people give old school and put it in the offering box, or sometimes we give online at seacoast.org front slash giving or um, text to give, that's how I like to do it. And uh, so at, at the end of the, during response time, there'll be the number for text to give uh, on the screen. And, uh, and we're gonna give, and then in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll report back to you as to where we are and, uh, and how, how close we are to, to the goal. Sound good? And so that's what we're gonna do together. Uh, another thing I wanna talk to you about it, j- just before Darren comes and speaks, this week, uh, we're in a series called Legacy. We've talked about family legacy, financial legacy, individual legacy. Christine Kane brought a message on legacy. Last week we had uh, three or four of our, um, our uh, sons of the house come back that have planted churches here. And they'd, some people ask me, why didn't Ernest Smith out in Colorado come back? We asked him to and he broke his leg, if you can imagine that, or tore his knee up or something and had surgery. So we'll bring him back in a few years after he gets over that. But anyway, so... So this week we're gonna do workplace legacy, how you can leave a legacy in the, in the marketplace, in the workplace. And uh, uh, to, to kind of supplement today, we're gonna have an event on Thursday night uh, right here at the Long Point campus in the warehouse. Get your note sheet out. Can you get your note sheet out real quick? You're gonna wanna follow along anyway uh, as Darren brings just a phenomenal word. Uh, but on the back of the note sheet, the last thing there, it says text workplace to 320-320. Kind of circle that so that you remember that. And what the deal is, is if you're a business owner, business leader, or you're just, you know, this idea of workplace legacy, just how how work in the workplace interests you, we're we're gonna have a one-hour meeting, uh, 6.30 to 7.30, and I'm gonna speak for just a few minutes about some workplace stuff, and then we'll have some discussion, a few other things go on. If you're interested in that, just just text that, and, and you'll get more information if you're at a campus, um, there, there's instruction about how you can watch online also. And so just, just be aware of that. This morning, I'm excited to welcome, with a great message, Darren Patrick. Would you welcome our teaching pastor this morning as he comes? You got it right that time. Well, good morning. So how many of you have worked, are working, or would like to work? Raise your hand. All right, most of us. All right, you're in the right place. So let me start out with a challenging question. What if work wasn't about the money you got, the titles you received, but what if it was about the legacy that you leave? What if you could view your work a little bit differently, and what if we could actually 
both enjoy our work and see the greater purpose in it. Um, I had this thought, like, what if it wasn't about going to work? What if it was about leaving a legacy? What if it wasn't about titles and money, but it was about the people that I'm shaping as I work? Now, this wasn't always my view. I hated my first three jobs. How many of you hated at least one of your first three jobs? How about all of your first three jobs? Four, five, see, it, it, it's, I was fired for my first three jobs. So I was a, a lawn boy, a bus boy, and, and then I was like a clerk in this grocery store. And, and listen, I was lazy, I'm not gonna be honest, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, but, um, <laughs> but the, bigger, the bigger deal for me was I wasn't engaged. I didn't know the purpose of work. And back in the day, the, the minimum wage was 335, and so it was hard to get motivated with that, but I just didn't understand some basic things about work that there, there was a bigger thing going on when I worked. Now, if you juxtapose that to now, I love my work. I, I absolutely adore it. I have a hard time not working. Vacations are hard for me to just totally disengage. Um, but, and, and you know where you're at on this one, right, in the way you approach your weekend. You know, some of us literally work for the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. Yeah, that's the, uh, the iconic band Loverboy, for those of you who are a little younger. If, you are, if you're younger, I'm gonna show you this. Okay, so this is Loverboy. <laughs> See Will Farrell over there, he played the cowbell for Loverboy. We're gonna do headbanging. We're gonna do headbanging to commemorate some 80s rock later. Uh, so be ready for that, get your neck loose. And we have a chiropractor in the response time, so it'll all be good. <laughs> but that song is so true, right? I will never forget that song. Now, I liked it before I worked, and now I understand it after I work a little bit, right? So, so what happens to us is if we're working for the weekend, we use the weekend to escape into our hobbies, into our yards, and to our kids' activities, and, and so we, we endure Monday through Friday so that we can experience some kind of joy on the weekend. Some of us work for the weekend, some of us work through the weekend. Like we are so addicted to producing. We are, we are so tethered to our stupid smartphones, right, that um, we can't get away from it. And it's not only because there's a lot of work to do, we actually like it. We love it, we can't imagine not working. When someone says, I, I'm gonna retire, we're like, you're gonna die, right? Because how can you not work? I mean, some of us just love it, love it, love it, and that's a good thing, but it can really be a bad thing, and I know that from my own experience when one day I was working on my day off, and my son, who's turning 12 in a few weeks, I can't believe that, but he was only like two and a half or three, and I'm on my laptop, you know, working on something, writing something, and he comes and sits right beside me, and he, he brings his little laptop, and he sits it right there. And I mean, he, you know, he, he's on his laptop, and he looks me right in the eye, and he starts pounding on his laptop. And he'd see me do that, but he was saying something else that day. He's like, Dad, you should be with me. Like, you shouldn't be on your laptop. What are you doing? And so emotionally, when we worked through the weekend, things happened. I was... Uh, helping coach a business leader last week, a CFO, big company, and he's like, Darren, here's my problem. When I'm at home, I'm not home. 
I'm, I'm there physically, but I'm not there emotionally. And it's costing me my marriage and my relationship with my kids. See, we know we're, we're kind of out of control, some of us, when we work. We know it emotionally. And, and listen, statistically, it makes sense. This is Business Insider. Uh, it says the average person spends 90,000 hours at work during their lifetime. It says many of us will spend more time at our job than with our family. A lot of us know this to be true in the working years. And then, this is scary, couples in which one partner spends 10 plus hours a day at work um, divorce at twice the average rate. So some of us have very demanding jobs that cause us to work that way, and we know that, but there's a danger there, and these stats are pointing that out. It is dangerous to hate your job, and it's dangerous to over-love your job. And see, our temptation is to, on one side, demonize it, we're working for the weekend, or idolize it, we work through the weekend. But God gives us a third way, a different paradigm, another way to look at our job that is challenging, but is also encouraging. He says, I don't want you to demonize your job, I, want, I don't want you to idolize your job, I want you to actually steward your work. A great definition of steward is one who deals responsibly with the owner's stuff. So, so here's what this means, our work, is not our work. It's God's work that he has entrusted to us. So your job is not your job, which means your boss is not your boss. So when you see your boss, you know, some people like take their boss's picture, Photoshop it, and use it as a dartboard. I've seen that in certain basements of my friends. But actually, if you could like, if we could figure out what Jesus looked like, and by the way, he wasn't white, he was Middle Eastern, dark color. He, so, so let's get a right representation of who Jesus was. But you, you ought to take Jesus' face and put it on your boss's body because that's your boss. That's who you're serving. And this is the key to stewardship, that we realize my job's not my job. My boss is not my boss. There's something bigger going on. My job is to steward my position, my authority, my you know, management well, because God has given me this job. Now, one of the craziest things in the Bible, and there are a lot of them, one of the craziest things is that work came before sin. That work preceded the fall. So work in and of itself is good because God installed it in the fabric of what it means to be human before sin screwed this whole thing up. Let me show you this, this is Genesis 2:15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Everybody say, work it. Work it. Keep it. That's what we do, that's our job. Now, real quick, everybody at one time, this will be chaotic, but we can do it. I want you to quote your job description, go. Now stop it, it's not gonna work, sorry. That's not how I plan. Let me simplify your job description. Work it, keep it. Work it, keep it. Now, it doesn't mean you work so that you can keep your job. What it means, what these ideas are, is this, this notion of cultivation. 
Because what was Adam's first job? What was he? How about it, Bible scholars? What was he? He's a gardener, right? He's in a garden, and he's called to work it and keep it. So work it, meaning the soil. Keep it, keeping meaning keep it flourishing. Cause it to be better. Take the raw materials that you have at your job, Adam, and it's soil. Get your hands in there, man, and make something better. That's our job at work. To take what's there and to make it better. Not to take what's there and complain about it. Not to take what's there and go, well, that's good enough, I'll coast. To take what's there and make it better. Adam, you have a purpose, you have a legacy, you're to take what is there and make it better, you're a steward, you're a leader. But guess what? It's not just Adam. This command was given to Adam, but in chapter one of Genesis, this commandment was given to the whole human race. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, we know what that's about, right? And, f and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Isn't it interesting? You've got family and then you've got work connected. This is what scholars call the cultural mandate. That all of humanity was made to be stewards to subdue and have dominion over the earth. That means we are in charge. God has granted us power, authority on the earth. And our job is to subdue it, meaning we take what is there, we take the resources of the earth, and we make it useful, beneficial for others as God's caretakers. That's what we do at work. We exercise authority, we take what's there, we make it better. And we are standing on the shoulders, friends, of people who have done this forever. Billions and billions and billions of people. And early on it started like this. Here's some animals running around. All right, so we're gonna take the animal, at, we're gonna raise it at times uh, for food, uh, sometimes we're gonna kill the animal for meat and, 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 and use the eggs for nutrition. We'll use the skins of the animal, right, to like clothe ourselves. I was in the airport the other day, I think somebody had actually was wearing that, some, I guess it's a new hipster thing, was wearing literally the skin of some animal, right? Uh, so, so what have we done as human beings? We've taken what was there and we've made it useful. We've taken what is there, wood and metal, and we've said, all right, we're gonna use tools so that we can hunt efficiently, we're gonna create shelter, uh, we're gonna build cities, we're gonna make iPhones, and on and on and on it goes. We're gonna have chariots, and then, then we're gonna have cars, and then we need roads, and, we need, and so now we're gonna have transportation. Human beings, over time, by God's design, have taken what was there, and they've made it better. And that's exactly what we're called to do. That's the cultural mandate. So we see God's work through us as we exercise dominion and subdue the earth, which means bringing the best out of the world he created. So you can go to work or you can be a part of a legacy and it's our opportunity. Now, let me take you to a text that is a little controversial, but I think it applies specifically to how we leave a legacy. This is Ephesians chapter six, verse five, and the first point I'll make about this, as I'll show you the verse in a second, is we leave a legacy when we work in humility. Okay, so this is the opportunity that you and I have as we work. Um, 
Ephesians 6, verse 5 says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, I got some splaining to do because that word in some translations is, is translated slaves. And so this is one of the arguments and dis, one of the ways Christianity is discredited because it says, oh, the Bible is pro-slavery, which is true, but the Bible is not pro-American slavery. Let me explain. In American slavery, what you had was a race-based slavery, meaning it was African-Americans who were kidnapped, which the Bible condemns, by the way, who were kidnapped and brought over against their will. It was, it was forced. It was race-based, and it was forced. And it was also lifelong, meaning you're not getting out of this thing, right? That's American slavery. First century slavery was not racial. In other words, all races had slaves, sometimes even of the same race. Slaves had slaves. A third of the population were in some form of slavery because of war, because their family sold them, because of infanticide where, you know, literally they would expose children that were unwanted to the elements. Um, but mostly it was about debt. You owed somebody money and the only way you could get it was to work with them until your debt was paid off and then you were free. And so a question comes, and I hope you're asking it, why didn't the Bible condemn all that? Well, in the first century, if the Bible would have condemned that, it would have destroyed the economy because there was no welfare system, there was no adoption system, so unwanted children, people who were poor, were just left with nothing. And so it was actually a way to honor the culture and honor the people who were a part of this system. So it's way different than our situation. Now, we can get caught up because this is such an issue, and it is such an issue, and you live in Charleston or near Charleston, you've been to Charleston, you know this is such an issue here. This is where the Civil War started, right? But, but don't miss what Paul is saying in application to us as we work. What Paul is saying is, I want you to do this work in humility, fear and trembling. I want you to position yourself, now this is hard, I want you to position yourself as a servant at your job. I want you to be a servant. I want you to be, now this idea of servant, this idea of humility, this was not considered a virtue until New Testament. In other words, no one had ever said, hey, it's a good thing to be humble. It's a good thing to be a servant. No, that was slave talk in Greco-Roman society. Philosophically, Aristotle, Plato, they, they, they said, they never mentioned this as a virtue in all their writings, and they talked about virtue. They said virtue was being self-reliant and confident, appearing to have it all together. And yet, 270 times in the Bible, it says, be a servant, be humble. Know you have a master, be humbled by that. Know who's in authority, be submitted to that. And so, what he's doing, he's saying, listen, when you go to work, when you relate to people who are in authority over you, do so humbly. This is not easy to do. You would think it would be easy for pastors to do, but it's not. I remember sitting in a class um, and the professor got up and said, hey guys, what are we? And uh, somebody said, we're students. We're sitting in your class. Yes, you are. 
Okay, as a pastor, what are we? And so all these different names. I'm a, I'm a shepherd, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a, he said, let me tell you the thing you are before anything. You're a servant. You're a servant of God, of God and you're a servant of God's people. And then he said these words. So then don't be surprised or offended when people treat you that way. Because that is what you are. That is humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what C.S. Lewis said. So when we work with humility, we have a legacy. Also, we leave a legacy when we work with integrity. This is about bringing our whole self to our work. The word integrity is from the word integer, which means whole number, right? So it's this idea of wholeness. You're bringing your best faculties to your work, your, your best emotions, right? Your, your, your highest energy, your, your, your best intellect. You're bringing all that to bear as you work. Now this is not easy, which is why in verse seven he says, uh, not, don't do this, not working as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. So it's easy to work hard when the boss is there. But when the boss isn't there, it's easy to slack. It's easy to coast. I remember in that, that first, the third job I was fired from, um, I hated sweeping the floor. The floor was like old and nasty and we'd have to sweep and mop, mop and I'm like, this is not doing any good. Nobody knows. <laughs> Who cares, right? I'm working for 335, right? I'm just trying to stay for, away from sharp objects. Like, this is horrible. So, so, so I'm like literally hiding in the corner. Okay, mass confession is good. How many of you have ever hid in your job somewhere? <laughs> somewhere in the building, long lunch, in the car, fake an illness, right? So I'm hiding and I'm, I'm, I'm literally back there like almost trying to fall asleep standing up, you know, which, and I've got this broom and whatever and all of a sudden I'm standing there and then behind me the boss sidles up on me. And, he, and I look and he, and he just looks back and he says, you got time to lean, you got time to clean and he just kept walking. <laughs> I was like, I'm so busted, right? But what was I not doing? I was not bringing my full self to my job. And, um, and this cost us. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, in other words, whatever you got your hands on, do it with all your might. Why? For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, you're gonna die, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. What he's saying is, if you're breathing, bring your best. If you're breathing, bring your best. And I, I honestly believe this, and, and I don't have time to develop this. You study the scripture, make sure I'm not a heretic, but I'm telling you, I think the Bible is clear from the cultural mandate on to the example of our Savior. When you give yourself fully to your work, God can do some things in you that he cannot do if you're not. 
A lot of us think, I need another Bible study, I need another worship song, let me serve in this ministry, let me do that, and I'm gonna feel closer to God and do all that and more. However, if you're not working hard, if you're not pressing in, you're missing something that God wants to do in your life. And you keep finding it by trying to do spiritual stuff. Actually, God says, if you will do the physical thing that I put in front of you, I will speak to you. See, through our hard work, God works on us. When we give ourselves utterly and totally and fully and appropriately to our work, God does something in us. He's teaching us skills, he's growing our character, he's showing us how to submit, even when we don't you know, approve of every mission, and I'm not talking about doing any illegal stuff, I'm just saying, when you bring your full self, he's preparing your destiny. The word overnight success is hilarious. It's a joke. Nobody has overnight success. They've worked hard for years, and then one day, right? That's how it works. So that means an integrity-filled person is a person who works hard, knowing their boss is not their boss, and knowing who their ultimate boss is and bringing their full self to that work. Last thing, we leave a legacy when we work expectantly. Expectantly. So th this is out of... Um, Ephesians 6, 8, the next verse says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. I love this so much. How, um, how many of you ever had performance bonuses at your job? Raise your hand, okay? Now, how many of you had a job where you worked at a company for a while before they did performance bonuses? Raise your hand, yeah. Now, question. When the performance bonus was installed, did you work harder? It's okay, it's not sin. Yes, you did, you did. And it's okay, it's okay. Like, like there's, when there is a reward for hard work, we're gonna work harder. That's why I think smart companies do that. You know? Smart churches do that. I think there's a real deal. I used to work with professional athletes, and there's this thing across all domain, any sport that is professional, like there's this thing called contract year. You know about contract year? Contract year is they're playing their last year with a certain team, and they're gonna be then a free agent and able to sign with any team. And I had, I had several players that I worked with in contract year. And listen, the argument is, oh, you know, and so now it's a whole thing with, you know, sports radio and, and all this thing. Oh, yeah, they're playing hard just to get the money. Well, the, the, the players I knew loved their team, always wanted to excel, you know, left everything on the field. But in contract year, there's something in the human heart that says, I got to step my game up because I want to provide more for my family, Right? I wanna put myself in the best position. Reward motivates us to work well. And maybe you don't have that dynamic at your job. And maybe even if you do, it's hundreds of dollars and thousands of dollars, but not millions of dollars, is the argument in your head, maybe. But what if there was a greater reward? 
What if every single thing you did at your work, and I'm talking everything, I'm talking a chart that you create, right? I'm talking, you know, you know, a, a, a project that you are, a, I'm talking every single thing that you do. Remember the cultural mandate, ruling over God's creation and God's name. Everything you exert influence over, that you steward. What if every single thing would be rewarded by God one day? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's exactly what the Bible teaches. Exactly, over and over again in the New Testament. What we do matters. You may be doing something that is not eternal, right? How is this Excel spreadsheet eternal? It's not. But you will be rewarded for something that's temporal, eternally. So everything matters. Everything matters. Because your boss is not your boss, right? He sees everything and he rewards. What would it look like to live for an eternal paycheck, an eternal bonus. See, when you have that perspective, then it changes the way you look at the people you're working with. Because you go, you know what? Not only am I gonna be rewarded, all these people around me who walk with God are gonna be rewarded. So then what can I do to increase their reward? How can I bring a little taste of heaven right here? You remember your first job? Your first real job? Like, it might have been you got to run a machine, or you got a, you got a project, or you got a desk, or for me, you got a cube. And cubes are not sexy, can we be honest? Cubes, cube land is not, but it was my cube and I could put three pictures up in my cube. And so I put four pictures up in my cube. Because <laughs> it was my cube. And this was my, and I was like, man, this is awesome. Remember, your first, remember the first time you, that you went to work and you're just like, man, I get to do this. I get to do this. See, that's the kind of wonder, that's the kind of passion that's available. Because friends, work is both duty and delight. Adam was created in this perfect environment and God says in Genesis, I want you to enjoy everything. He said it this way, freely eat. There's stuff in here that you didn't work for. You're gonna create some stuff, but I planted some stuff in here. Enjoy its fruit, taste its sweetness, enjoy. But then also Adam had a duty towards the land he had a duty towards the land. He could not leave it untouched. Part of the cultural mandate is, as we said, taking what's there and make it better. He couldn't just enjoy, he also had to work. And friends, that's our opportunity. And guys, we are standing on the shoulders, are we not, of people that have gone before us. I, I grew up in this place called Southern Illinois, which is southeast of St. Louis. And I just found this out not too long ago in my ancestry stuff. Um, that most of our region was settled by people from South Carolina. I knew I loved you people, I didn't know why. <laughs> For real. And so our town, our, our little region is full of mines, there's tons of coal there. And so I, I grew up in this, you know, with you know, the vast majority of the economic, you know, 
culture coming from mining. And so guys were, you know, going underground hundreds and hundreds of feet, dying under there, you know, at work and having lung issues later. And, and if you want to just think about all the people who have done work to settle and to prosper and just the roads we drive on and the traffic we complain about, somebody made those roads, somebody architected the design of all that, we're benefiting from the work of others all the time. We're standing on shoulders, their innovation, their legacy. And someday people, and, and already are, are gonna stand on our shoulders. And God set this whole thing up in Genesis 1. He said, you're gonna subdue the earth, you're gonna, you're gonna create, you're gonna imitate me, you're not the creator, but you will be a creator. You're gonna, you're gonna make things better. You're gonna take what's there and you're gonna make things better. That's what you're gonna do at your job. You're gonna take, no matter what you're doing, you take what's there and you make it better. Well, there's not much that can get better. Do the best you can. Well, I can't figure out how to do it. I don't know what, quit your job. Get another one. Be in a place where you go, this thing matters. It's not gonna totally fulfill you, your work. It's not designed to. Well, I'm unsatisfying my job. There's a reason why they pay you. Right? It's a reason why they pay us. It's work. But it can be purposeful and meaningful, and you can see it more than just a title or a paycheck. You can see it as a part of your legacy. It's totally possible. Pastor Greg and I were um, at a conference a few weeks ago, and they showed this uh, montage of the life of Billy Graham, who died you know, a couple months ago. Unbelievable. And there, you know, there was an interview going on. He was an older man at this point, and they said, Billy, why did you do it all? What, what was this all about? And uh, for, this, for us overworkers, let me just include, uh, include this little piece. He said, one of the things he said was, what, what, what do you wish you had done differently? He said, I wish I would have been home more. And some of us are like, man, my work's so important. I just can't leave it. I gotta work through the weekend. Billy Graham had fairly important work. Preached to more people than anybody in history, right? Some of you in this room and watching probably came to Christ because of Billy Graham. He says, I wish I would have stayed home and been more present with my family. And I wish when I was home, I would have been more present. But then he said this thing. They said, well, what, what, why? Why'd you do it? Why'd you sacrifice? Why did you put all the... He said, I did it to hear one thing from one person. I did it to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's why you're doing what you do. You wanna hear that well done. All I did was crunch numbers for 30 years. All I did was dig ditches and all I did was you know, build houses and all I did was you know, sit in meetings after meeting after meeting. All I did, and God says, it all matters. And I'm gonna reward you because you left a legacy. You didn't just go to work. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would inspire us. I pray for my friends who are in the job that, are, that, that is not satisfying. I pray either you would give them the courage to quit and pursue something that is satisfying or that, Lord, you would supernaturally help them to find meaning where they are. And I ask for my friends that love their jobs and tend to overwork 
Lord, help them. Help them to get their identity more from you than their performance. Help them to have hard conversations and set appropriate boundaries so that they do not miss their life because of their job. Whatever temptation we have there to idolize or demonize, Lord, show us what it looks like to steward. And we trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.